All right, we are live for another edition of our Friday weekly series where I make comments of some of the interesting headline articles that I find of the week, including providing my thoughts uh, with some of those headlines and also looking to looking into the data of the week. I also like to use this as an opportunity to share uh, with my audience just what I've been seeing from a week by week change or basis and different things that I'm thinking about. So uh, if you have any questions throughout this live session, you're welcome to reach out anytime. Simply just type in the message below or in the comment section. But otherwise, we'll jump right into it. We have a lot to cover today. I'll start by sharing my screen. Okay, so the very first thing to cover here is related to um, borrows in forbearance can defer all missed payments until the end of the loan. Over the last several weeks, there's been a lot of back and forth in terms of, well, okay, so individuals and homeowners can have forbearance for, let's say, three to four months up to possible a year. Now, at the end of that forbearance period, when they're able to uh, pay for their bill, what are the options available for them? And with this change for many, as mentioned every week, confirm it with your lender, in this case, they can defer all the missed payments until the very end of their loan. So it's no longer even paid at the end of the forbearance period, Neither, or you have to make any sort of um, payments that you, you missed in the past in terms of small chunks. You, you may have the option to basically pass it to the end of the loan altogether. So this is a really big change uh, than what most people may think, and it provides a lot more relief for homeowners uh, if they're in distress. So something very interesting to see, and there's another point here that I'll show. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac also extended the foreclosure and eviction freeze until the end of June. Currently it's set to expire basically in a couple of days but they've also extended it further. So for those that are hoping for massive foreclosures and evictions, uh, you're gonna have to wait a little bit longer to see if that market is distressed. I suspect they will continue to revise this uh, potentially a few more times depending on the situation until things get better and a lot more states get opened up. But this time around, there's so much active support from the government related to homeowners, which is a very different experience for those that, that were unfortunate and had to go through the challenges of 2008. Nevertheless, this provides a lot of support for homeowners. As mentioned, foreclosure and evictions are extended. There's You, you can't even evict renters, but you also they can't uh, a bank cannot foreclose on your property. At the same time, as I mentioned with the forbearance, being able to be extended even further or even delay the payment to the end of your loan is something really interesting. So the way that the government will to get their money back is they'll extend it to the end of the loan, which can be a very long time. Or when you do a refinance, that's when they can get some of that capital back out. Whereas part of the refinance, you will owe that amount, which would help uh, either lower your interest rates, but also possibly a cash out refinance, depending on your situation. So some of those are some of the active th things that I see from a uh, government support perspective. Now, in terms of activity, uh, every week, I personally have seen an increase in the number of uh, buyers in the marketplace. So this time around, it continues to happen. 
New York has a very big increase in terms of new mortgage applications for home purchases, especially due to them being locked down, likely the, the worst out of all cities. But in the Bay Area is the same uh, that I see where buyer confidence has continued to increase over the weeks. And here you can see mortgage applications have done so as well. The other data point from a demand perspective is that searches for home sales continue to increase. They've hit very low, a very low period over the last several weeks, mainly due to a combination of loss of jobs, but also the aspect where real estate was very difficult to go see. This is also a very uh, helpful sign that real estate from an interest perspective has continued to increase and rebounded. So I, I suspect May will be incredibly busy, especially once you see some of the data that I'll go over momentarily. Now, one of the things that came out, especially in the Bay Area, where real estate uh, in terms of traffic, in terms of traffic, it's been very bad, mainly because a lot of the jobs are in core areas. They're either in San Francisco, which has a lot of companies and a lot of startups, or they're around the Mountain View area, Mountain View and Sunnyvale. So a lot of the traffic all over the Bay Area goes, flows in that one direction and then flows the reverse way when they go back home. So you can see where there's been a lot of commute and a lot of traffic over the years of up to one or two hours one way uh, at the peak of things. Now, as COVID has taken place, I'm continuing to monitor and I'm always interested to see from a corporate real estate perspective if the mentality of these companies will change. Now, Twitter is one of the first to announce that employees can work at home indefinitely, which is very interesting. Now, Twitter, relative to a lot of the bigger companies, is not that big. They have 5,000 employees on a global basis. And in San Francisco, they have 1,000 employees. So if you can imagine when you saw the layoffs that happened at Uber, Airbnb, and Lyft, those companies were even bigger uh, than Twitter. Nevertheless, it's still a big change because they do have a very large and beautiful space uh, in San Francisco where that area has gentrified a lot. A lot of it was due to Twitter uh, when they actually first moved in. So it will be really interesting to see what will happen with that headquarters space. Now, it's still very early, um, especially where people are not even able to use that space. And, I, and as I've been catching up with different uh, contacts that I have in the corporate real estate space, it, there's, no, there's no unanimous decision. A lot of the people that are very bearish of corporate real estate space may say, hey, look, wow, if Twitter can do this, Google and Facebook can do this, and, and soon nobody will need an office space, or the office space itself will be significantly less in terms of size. On the other hand, that's uh, I, I speak with others that are in this space from an interior design and workplace strategy, and they feel the space may actually increase because of the proximity that is required for all employees now. So the six feet um, distance along with uh, a lot of the floor plan designs may actually increase the, the amount of space used because the per employee, uh, employee per square foot count is now different. So it's going back and forth, but it's always interesting to see when a big company makes these kind of announcements um, and to be able to see, well, what will happen to other companies? Will they follow suit or will they not? Because that will have a very drastic impact in terms of how real estate prices can be affected, not just in the Bay Area, but all over. So it's something that I continue to monitor. 
Facebook and Google announced, I believe that they are able, employees are able to work uh, from home until the end of the year. And so it'll be interesting to see if it becomes indefinite or also what I'm also more curious in is what will happen with the Google Village project in downtown San Jose. So if anyone has insights related to that, that you can share with me, I'd love to hear about it because that's a very big project that will have about 5 million square foot of office space in downtown San Jose. And there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of back and forth with the city. The city will need that money more than ever. At the same time, Google may not need as much space. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what will ultimately take place of that project, which has been going on for a long time. They should have been bre breaking ground next year. So there's still time for that. And so I'm, I'm really curious from that perspective. So I will keep you guys updated as soon as I find out from my sources of what's happening with that project. Um, but in general, this is uh, a big, a big announcement. Granted, Twitter has a thousand people in San Francisco, so it's not that big compared to a lot of the other companies, but still very notable given their, their name and uh, their contacts in today's society. Okay, so let's jump into the data. Actually, before we jump into the data, there's a few things that there's not anything related to articles, but a few notes that I wanted to share in terms of what I am seeing from a market perspective, especially when it comes to the need of people uh, wanting more space. So the interesting part is while there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, there is there are things that are starting to shape shape out, including the need for more space in a different type of space. So if you think about the lifestyle that you had or an a family had two months ago, you would go to work, you would take your kids to school, you would come back from work and and relax at home. However, two main things have changed. Number one, most uh, schools are shut down, so the kids are at home doing their learning. Number two, most individuals are working from home, especially those in tech. And so the interesting dynamic of what has happened is that that configuration that they had previously of the number of bedrooms and number of bedrooms and space is no longer the same criteria that they would need moving forward, especially as this goes along, uh, if this gets extended more and more or becomes a new norm. So what I see now is people are getting sick and tired of their existing setup. So I've heard different stories of both of the couples have their computers on their kitchen in their kitchen counter and that's how they're doing work so i see now more of a need for larger space than ever i also see the need of a private space like a an office an office space so i've seen a lot of conversions even including myself i converted this bedroom into an office space only used for doing these types of events or doing work if i wanted uh, my own private private uh, meetings and private space. So I suspect that will continue to to occur. So the interest of office dedicated office space is going to be a new norm now, along with potentially there are spaces like dens, um, like dens. So they didn't have a closet, but it's a great private room. And so I see that continue to take place with uh, homes that have that type of design. So it doesn't count as a formal bedroom but it's a nice space for an office. So that's one of the biggest changes that I've seen. So even though there may be uncertainty, they just can't stand it anymore given the environment that they're in. So something very interesting that I found 
and, and I share with a lot of people too of, of the activity uh, in the marketplace. Uh, the other thing is be careful when it comes to appraisers and appraisal values. So what I'm advising clients today is we'll look at comps. I'll give you my best assessment of what this will likely appraise at and what percentage risk that you may have when it comes to an appraisal. Appraisals these days are being a little bit more conservative. So I would put a little bit more buffer and a little bit more, and I would share that expectation with the client that they may need to be prepared for extra reserves when it comes to their down payment. So if they are very stretched to begin with, when it comes to that purchase, you're going to have to be aware if you need a potential appraisal contingency, um, or if you need, uh, or just being, having that buffer in place. So something that I'm, I'm telling my clients just to be prepared of, it's out of our control as realtors. We do the best we can to say, look, this is what's been selling throughout the period. The market is still at a, at a strong, healthy level, but, uh, I've seen some appraisals be coming back as, as a little bit lower than what it should be, even though there's very clear evidence of why, uh, why it should be at a different level. Now, if you're in contracting experiences, there is the option to refute that if you can show data. So I know recently I had a, pro, uh, a, a, a purchase under contract and it came back a little bit lower than we had thought. So we showed back the data, worked with the lender and fortunately the appraiser adjusted it. So we were able to get it at basically what we purchased it at, purchased it at. So just something to be aware of as you navigate the landscape, um, work with your realtor, work with your lender, be sure to, to keep up to date on that. The other thing is to keep an update on is the guidelines. Guidelines are changing pretty much every week. So checking with your lender and checking with your realtor consistently to ensure that the assumptions that were made a few weeks ago are still, are still relevant today and so accurate today. So just some other things to be aware of. Okay, so let's go take a look at the data. This time around, I'm gonna look at San Mateo County. I'm gonna give you some of my thoughts and some of the interesting trends. And uh, so here we are at the mid-May timeframe. As you can see, if you can look at last week, the new listings figure hit a very high level of the highest level in the last two months at 142 new listings. So a lot has to do with that restriction that was uplifted on May 4th, which allowed occupied houses to be shown. So a lot got rushed out. But what's interesting and surprising here is that this week, we still have later today and tomorrow that's not accounted for. So I suspect this will be perhaps similar to the previous week, but the number has dropped back to basically at the 100 or perhaps the 90s levels of new listings. That's uh, pretty disappointing to see. It just shows the level of how low inventory, uh, how low inventory levels are at this time. And so it is what it is, but it's going to be difficult for buyers, especially as they continue to increase in terms of interest, but also in terms of activity. The number that are going contingent is at 28. The number that's going pending is at 55. The total is at 83. So from, as you can see, from a ratio perspective of the number that is going pending versus the number of new listings, it's very close and it makes it very difficult. I know for a fact this number will be significantly higher if there was more listings because there is so little uh, properties to choose from. So it's just something to be aware of that you're going to have to be on one end patient 
as to finding your property, but at the same time, you're gonna have to be ready because it's gonna still move very fast given the shortage that we continue to have, especially in San Mateo County. The last figure here is number 19. This is related to how many are actually expiring or dropping out. As you can see, the levels are about the same every week. There's nothing uh, special and nothing new to show in that from that regards. Now let's take a look at some of the data in terms of prices. So when we look at San Mateo County, this has the data of single family condos and townhomes. You can see in this case, March was had a, as a very slight decline from a very high February, a very busy February. April had dropped uh, a little bit more from there. Keep in mind, this is all delayed data. So this is generally offers that are accepted a month or a month and a half before. However, what is interesting is if you look at the May data, which is we're in mid-May already, we're hitting all-time highs. So at this case, we're hitting an average of $2 million in San Mateo County. So it's quite incredible to see this kind of change happening in mid-May. I suspect this will likely drop down a little bit. However, um, I still suspect it will be much higher than the previous levels, given how, how high it is at this time. Now, from a sales to list price ratio, for those that are trying to uh, lowball offers or trying to buy below, unfortunately, generally, it is not even an option to consider. As you can see at this time, uh, we're still selling at about 104% above the list price. Now, I've made a different video in the past, so feel free to check that out in terms of the difference of uh, video uh, of list price versus market price. But at the same time, just know like people are pricing it very fairly. There is still competition out there. You're not going to expect something to go way over generally, but you're also not going to be expecting too many that's going to be willing to accept a figure lower than the price they had come up with, which is the list that list price at the time. So it's very interesting to see this information here where the where it's still going quite a bit above list price. One of the things that I was interested in seeing was how how is this faring over previous years in terms of sales of volume and in terms of the, the activity levels? And so I started to pull back over the last five years just to see, well, is this something unusual? Is this about the same level? And here you can see the April figures. We had about 583 number of uh, active listings here in 2020. Versus last year, as you can see, is a substantial drop. However, if you look at the other period of 2017-2018, it is, it is about the same level. Now, do note, these were times with record low inventory levels. And this, the, at this period, it was also incredibly hot. So prices were also very strong during these times. So you have a lot of these pressures that will push the prices upwards, given how low uh, the inventory levels are. So something interesting to see, just so you're aware. This is a little bit of the trend uh, over the months. So you have the aspects of seasonality. So I suspect over the summertime, we should be able to get uh, a good amount more new listings, especially the fall season. However, this year is, is clearly very different than most. But hopefully as, as we, we move along and as people gain more confidence related to the COVID situation that they'll be more confident in selling their home either to move out or to do a trade up. So this is uh, some of the data in terms of active listings versus the previous years. So 
Uh, this time, I just wanted to go through a little bit of the data. Some people are always curious of just the average price points in different markets. So I'm going to change this here. Zoom out a bit. So a couple of things, just so people are aware of, of what to expect in different cities. This is a comp comp compilation of single family townhomes and condos. So of course, single families would be at the higher end. Condos would be at the lower end. But at high level, you can see what the average is on from a city perspective. So number one is Redwood City. Redwood City may looks appears to be very strong, just like most of the city, most of the counties here. April was a little bit weaker. However, the average for Redwood City is at a little over 1.5 in April. Now, the interesting part about Redwood City as a marketplace is that you'll have certain properties that you can still find under a million dollars. There are smaller properties, usually a one bedroom or a two bedroom um, with one bath about 900 square foot to 1,000 square foot. Lots are fairly small, about 4,000 square foot lots. But you can still get those single family houses, and that's considered on the low end, which is about 900,000 to a million dollars on the low end of Redwood City. And then on the other end, there's a lot of great neighborhoods all across Redwood City that are much bigger, and they're very nice with a lot of space, a space in terms of the house, uh, the home size, along with the yard size. So Redwood City is a very interesting market. I would say the most interesting market of the entire San Mateo County, given their history of the past, where uh, there was names of it called Deadwood City. But at the same time, there is also a lot of activity given the massive redevelopment projects across the city. So downtown uh, Redwood City has had a tremendous amount of change, including a lot of revitalization of their restaurants and office space. Box has their company headquarters there, so it's a great presence from a tech perspective. And then you also have uh, Stanford that has expanded there, and I believe Kaiser also has a, a, a very big facility, uh, a healthcare facility there as well. So you have so much activity there versus most other cities, especially in the mid-peninsula area. So it's driven a lot of interest, a lot of activity, and a lot of change has happened. As has happened. Now, in terms of the Burlingame space, so Burlingame has always been very competitive, and as you can see there's so little new listings, uh, so many, so little activity. This is about 15, 15 transactions a month, so it's very little. However, you can see May has certainly jumped significantly. But I suspect that's because that particular house or those particular houses were, were very nice. But inventory levels in Burlingame have always been low and will continue to be low. Their average price point is about 2.1, 2.2 million. Now, I do have a question here, which is great. Thank you, Albert, for reaching out. So the question, so I can read it, is what is the appetite for converting former commercial real estate properties to low-income residential slash general residential? So it's really dependent on the city. It's always dependent on the city and their appetite to creating housing. Now, certain cities that are a lot more bullish, such as Mopitas, such as San Jose. So if you look back and let's take a, let's take a look into Mopitas as an example. Mopitas next to the Great Mall, all of those spaces used to be warehouse spaces. Um, so there were... You know, they're not high-end office space. They're just industrial warehouse space. 
And so they tore them all down and they built tens of thousands of homes. Now, the caveat, though, is a lot of that has to do with the expansion of expansion of the BART station. So when BART was being extended from the Fremont station, the warm, I believe it was the, let's see, what was the, what was the furthest south at the time? I want to say initially it was Fremont and then you have the Warm Springs one. But as they extended down south to Milpitas and Berryessa, it was required for the city to create housing in that area to be able to accommodate uh, the the transport. So it was a combination of housing development, as in people buying that, buying houses and condos, and also apartments. So it's a little bit different there. Now, the aspect of industrial space in the Mid-Peninsula, unfortunately, in San Mateo County, I don't think it's going to be happening anytime soon. And the reason for that is because they still, as bad as commercial space is in a general setting, that area is still one of the strongest commercial spaces, um, period. And it's still very hard to find that kind of space. Retail space in itself is already very limited. So I wouldn't suspect them taking out retail. There's just so little there and it's, they want, they need retail because people want to go out to eat. You know, they need to get, you know, like myself, they need to get a haircut. Um, you have all these other things that are, that are components of retail. So I, I don't think retail is going to happen at all, but the commercial side, especially the industrial side, there is still too strong. And especially you have the biotech factor. So biotech has continued to increase um, drastically, whether it's manufacturing, development, those take up a lot of industrial space. And I know they're also moving to the East Bay because they have no more space in San Mateo County. So it makes it very tough for San Mateo County where it continues to be very limited. It's There's not going to be very much housing development. Where, where I see if San Mateo County may possibly make it more dense is where along the Caltrain is. So if you have an example, you can look at near San Carlos. So near to San, Cal San Carlos downtown and Caltrain area, they've built a lot more higher density units and they're beautiful units too. But even then it was very little. I think there was maybe only tens, if not low hundreds. It wasn't very much. So clearly from a supply and demand perspective is, is never going to be balanced, especially in San Mateo County. So for those that are wanting the buffer of not just higher price points, but also just the scarcity of inventory there, along with the, the prime location, it's very hard for San Mateo County to be affected, even if there was a downturn for those reasons. So I hope that clarified a little bit. And I think I have a couple of other things. So thank you, Angelica, for tuning in. Uh, great to see you. I'll continue and go down uh, some of the other data points. So in terms of Belmont, so Belmont continues to rise as well. Right now, we're at an average about $1.8 million for Belmont properties. Belmont inventory is still very low, highly desirable place uh, due to schools and along with proximity. We take a look at San Carlos. San Carlos, also one of those, in a sense, a sleepier town. Not a lot of people are familiar with San Carlos and the charms of San Carlos. People love it, whether you want to buy a house in the hills or if you want to buy near downtown. It's a fantastic downtown, very walkable. It's all very flat that a lot of people don't realize in San Carlos in that area. So it's uh, it's it's a, it's a great place. As you can see, average price points now are over $2 million. 
uh, for May were about 2.1, 2.2. April was about 1.8, 1.9. Foster City remains. Um, April was an extremely strong month for Foster City. Now, Foster City, a lot of people love that area as well, mainly because of how it's laid out. It's a planned development. And so in terms of the ratio of parks, the walkability, the number of uh, restaurants and grocery stores, along with a lot of great companies like Visa or headquarters there. So it's a very highly desirable place. And especially right now, one of the bigger concerns in the past was Foster City is that junction for the bridge. So, so there's a lot of traffic that goes through during rush hour. Now, without traffic, um, I suspect Foster City will will be even a more even more desirable place when that's no longer a concern because that was a concern for for a lot of people moving into Foster City was was the traffic patterns. But if there's less traffic, Foster City will become very interesting and will become very popular, even more popular. Houses there are typically newer than the rest of the county. Um, many properties also ha will have uh, possibly access to the waters. So, so it's great for uh, kayaking or paddleboarding and, and, and different types of water activity. Um, so moving on, San Mateo. San Mateo is a very large city. So you have different parts all, all across. You have some that, are, that can be very premium and very expensive with, with very good schools. And then you have some that are considered more entry level. I believe the more about 1.2, 1.3 would be entry level for single family there. But you have a big mix. As you can see, it's, it's about April. It's, you know, Feb, uh, March was a very high, uh, high period. April has dropped, but it's still significantly higher than the previous months. And then you look at May, the activity continues to, to be strong. So I know, Albert, you have a couple of different things. So there are... So he wrote, there are new apartments going up next to Hayward Park. It's been going on for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's not, it's not like there's not going to be any, but it's all about the figures. It's all about the number of new development or new apartments. Apartments are also a little bit different too versus uh, the ownership side. Like the, the angle of apartments and the math of how people determine, should I build an apartment or not? Is very different. So the dynamics, the dynamics are not the same for apartments, and it also depends on like what kind of apartments will there be. And for the most parts, most of those apartments are actually pretty luxurious apartments. So a lot of the new ones being built today, those apartments are 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 very nice. Um, the price points are are pretty high. Uh, I've seen like even in let's say Mountain View, some of those apartments are four to five thousand dollars a month for two bedroom apartments. So if you think San Francisco is high, which many of them are, it's, it's very comparable to there. So uh, the apartment scene in the rental market is, is always very different. So it's just something to just, it's from a data perspective, it's, it's always different. And yes, when, when it comes to San Mateo, you're right. It's, it's a great area. It's one of the strongest uh, areas. So at the same time, it's always about location. If people can have the budgets and, and have the ability to afford San Mateo County, it's a great safe bet. Millbrae, as you can see, is kind of all over. Transaction volume is very little. There's basically only 10, 10 transactions on average a month. You can see April was a very strong month relative to the rest. May substantially lower at a million. However, because of the because of the level of transactions, this is likely just probably some condo that sold. Otherwise, it'll be closer to the $1.5 million average. Well, I hope this was helpful. Um, my goal every week is to go over 
some of the data that I find relevant and interesting along with some of the news articles. Of course, if you have any questions, you're always welcome to tune in live. This happens every uh, 12 o'clock Pacific time on Facebook and on my YouTube channel. And if you, if you aren't able to tune in live, you're always welcome to reach out uh, via email or text. I can always be reached at spencer at spencerhsu.com or call or text me anytime, 408-223-5493. Uh, as I've been doing this for the last two months now, I've actually gotten a lot of uh, interest and a lot of great feedback. So I really sitting in and listening to what I have to share about the market. I've also got a lot of great buyers and sellers that have come out of this. So don't hesitate and think, uh, don't be a stranger, you know, whether you are years out or you're just trying to, or you're ready to go right now, it's never too early or too late to have the discussion. So I hope this was helpful. I'll wrap it up for this one. A uh, couple of housekeeping items on Tuesday, I'll be coming up with another video and this time is how to pick an agent. The more that I'm in the business, the more I see people are actually fairly uneducated about what questions that are actually important, what they should ask. And so I'm going to go over those and show you why that's important. And, and I think that will at least help you decide whether I'm able to help you in the Bay Area or not. It will help you at the very least. Or if you're looking at this video from across the country, there's different criteria that you should at least know the answer to to really be able to make the best decision for yourself. Remember that the realtor is the subject matter expert. No matter how much you read, there's no way you're going to be able to know as much as a realtor. However, the caveat is you'll need to find a trusted realtor to be able to provide you that guidance. So it's also very important to do the qualification of that as you go through your journey. So I'm going to cover that, a lot of the different questions I personally get asked and how I answer it. And also the more that I see of it, especially when I refer business to other cities, um, I ask certain questions to see what their quality of service is. So tune into that. That's going to be released on Tuesday. Wednesday, I will also be continuing my interview series every week on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific. I do a live show on YouTube and also on Facebook. This time we're going to have uh, Taryn out of Palm Beach. Uh, along with Melissa out of San Diego. So we're going to learn about those two different markets, how things are faring there in the level of activity. Wonderful places, places that I wish I can be at right now. Lovely, sunny places. So, so tune in for that next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. All right, we'll wrap it up. Have a great Friday. Have a nice, beautiful weekend. And I'll see you at the next one. Bye now.